And in your Bible, the book of John, chapter number 13, we're going to read a couple of verses. And the subject this morning is learning to love like Jesus loved. Learning to love like Jesus loved. And we're in John chapter 13, and we're going to read verse 34 and 5. Stand to your feet with me, if you will, please, as we read God's Word. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Look at verse 34 again. A new commandment I give you. A new one means there's an old one, doesn't it? And he said that you love one another, and here's the key phrase, as I have loved you, the new commandment. Thank you, and you may be seated. So I want to speak to you this morning about something that every one of us have in common. There are very few subjects that you could look at a congregation this size and say every one of us feel the same about this particular subject, but we do on this. We all hold this in common. We all want to be loved. I never met anybody that didn't want to be loved. And we all want to love. We want to be loved, and we want to love. Now, there's a reason for that, and the reason is that we are made in God's image. And we're like God in respect to the idea of love. God wants us to love Him, doesn't He? In fact, He commands that. Over and over, the Bible says that we're to love the Lord with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. And then God not only wants to be loved, but God loves us. And we've heard that beautifully sung about this morning. And we think of it, John 3.16 or scores of other verses in the Bible. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And this week is, of course, Valentine's, and you're going to hear about love, and you're going to see red Valentine's and so on wherever you go, and Valentine cards, and you go in the stores, and they're full of things like that. In fact, this is the week that florists and candy makers and Hallmark cards, they love this week, don't they? It's the week when they make some of them their profit for the year. And in the Greek language from which your Bible was translated, we always go back to that original language sometimes because the Greek language has so many more uh, words that color the definition of things than does the English language. The English language is pretty bare compared to the Greek. For example, We have this word love in our language. If you spoke ancient Greek, there are eight words at least that reference love. And each of them has just a little tiny shade different from the others in in their meaning. Now, only two of those words appear in your New Testament. One of them is the Greek word phileo, or for We call it brotherly love. The city of Philadelphia, you see, got its name there, the city of brotherly love. Although right now, if you listen to the news, there's more murders in the 
city of brotherly love than anywhere else in America this morning. So it's, it's not really the city of brotherly love right now, but the name implies that. Brotherly love is friendship love. If you're my friend and you refer to somebody as a friend, that's the phileo love, phileo love. Brotherly love, affection, authentic love for other people. That's brotherly love. And the Bible uses that term quite a few times. But the word that we're focusing on today is the agape love, and I've spoken to you about it many times. And the agape love, the word used here in John chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, that word is agape. And the agape love is a selfless love. It is the love of God. It is the love that we as Christians are to cultivate and have in our character, the love, the agape love. The RU people uh, have a big emphasis on love. And here's their definition of agape love. The willing, sacrificial giving of oneself for the benefit of others without any thought of return. That's pretty profound. The willing, you're not coerced into doing it. You're willing to sacrifice and give of yourself for the benefit of others, and it's not a trade. You're not expecting something in return. And they have that over there displayed on a on a, a, a sign, if you will, over there in the RU meeting on Friday nights. And uh, they go over that often, and I'll tell you why they go over that. Now, you may not have ever thought of this, but think about it. When you're dealing with addictions, addictions, I could define an addiction in one word, total self-focus. An addict is selfish. He's thinking only of pleasing himself or herself. We hear of addicts who will steal from their friends or steal money from their parents. Why do they do that? Because they're totally engrossed in what will bring pleasure to them. They love that drug. And so it's real important that we teach them the very opposite of that, the willing, sacrificial giving of yourself for the benefit of others, to get outside yourself and start thinking about other people. That's agape love. That's the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. He can command it to us. He calls it a commandment. Look in verse 34. If it were a feeling, most of the way we define love in America is the idea of some sort of romantic feeling, some sort of emotion that we have, some attraction to other people or or to something. Well, you can't command a feeling. I can tell you over and over, command you to feel a certain way, but you probably can't even conjure up that feeling. But you can command an action. You can command people to act in a certain way. And agape love is commanded of us because it doesn't have anything to do with our feelings. It has to do with acting in a way toward other people and toward God. And in our King James Bible, very often that very same word is translated as charity. Boy, that's an excellent translation of that. 
charity. So we go to 1 Corinthians 13, and over and over it talks about charity, and charity never fails and all this. And it's agape love that's being discussed there. And charity is a great definition for that because charity is thinking of other people and how you can benefit them. So we're looking at love, learning to love like Jesus loved. And this is a great example of it because I'm going to go back to chapter 13 and verse 1 now, and let's read some more from God's Word. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of the world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper now being ended, and this is the last supper here, and this is being held in what we sometimes refer to as the upper room. It was a rented room that Jesus and his disciples actually borrowed from a man in order to hold their Passover supper. And supper is now over. And the devil has now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus. So Judas is sitting here saying, I'm going to do this now. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and Jesus, knowing that he had come from God and went to God, or was going to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wipe the, wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. And so we have the account here. Maybe one of the greatest examples of love ever shown. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Creator, washing the dirty feet of His disciples. A great, great example of love. There's an old saying, you've heard it, and it's practice what you preach. You ought to practice what you preach. Can I tell you something even better? Is to preach what you practice. To preach what you practice. To live a life in such a way that when you speak and you preach, then your practice backs that up. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's preaching what he practiced, and he practices this love. The disciples have been having a very heated discussion. It doesn't, say a, it doesn't describe that in John. It describes it in the book of Luke. And in Luke chapter 22, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest when the Lord comes back for his kingdom and sets it up. And Jesus here didn't say much to them about their discussion at this point. He gave them an example of who is going to be the greatest. He says the greatest is the one who serves. And then the Bible describes how he took off his outer garments, which they wore in those days, sort of a wrap, if you will. He wrapped a towel around his waist, and he knelt down on his knees, took that basin of water, and washed the dirty feet of his disciples. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the historical and the custom behind what he was doing here, because you need to understand that to appreciate his example. In those days, people wore sandals. They didn't wear a closed shoe like you and I have on this morning. They didn't wear any socks. They were in a very warm climate for the most part, and so they wore sandals and open-toed, no socks on their feet. So you can imagine, 
And in those days, the roads weren't paved. They didn't have concrete sidewalks and paved roads. So the roads were basically dirt paths, and they were dusty, and they were dirty. It was a very dry climate. And so if you went out and you spent a few hours outside walking the paths, then you would be, your feet would be filthy. They would be dirty and dusty or maybe muddy. And in a home, in, in the homes that were middle class and so on, they always had servants in those days. And they would put a, a pitcher of water, and they would put a basin at the very entranceway of the home. And when a guest would come and knock on the door, if they were invited in, that servant, and that servant would always be the lowliest servant in the household, that servant would kneel down. And before the people came into the house, their feet were so dirty, they didn't want them in their house with unwashed feet. And so they would the servant would wash the dirty feet of the guest. And this was the job of the person who was the lowest on the totem pole in terms of service in that house. And so Jesus Christ, in a borrowed room here, there was no servant. And his disciples had just come in to eat. And Jesus took that towel and that basin of water and he knelt down, and he washed their dirty feet. As I, think, as I was thinking about it, I thought, well, he comes to John, and John is the disciple he was closest to, and he said, John, let me wash your feet, and he washed John's feet. He came to Peter, and he said, Peter, it's time for me to wash your feet. Well, Lord, I don't want you to wash my feet. I should be washing your feet, and Peter has always had something to say. And then he came to Judas, and he looked him in the eye. Judas was thinking about betraying him, as you look right there at verse 2. He's already making his plan. Can you imagine the example, the power of this example? The creator of Judas, the one who loved Judas more than anybody, the Son of God in a human form kneels down and washes the dirty, filthy feet of the man who in a few hours is going to put on him a kiss of hell, the betrayer, the betrayer of the Son of God. What love. With kindness, he washes the feet of old Judas, the creator of the universe, the Lord of glory, washing the feet of the man who is going to sell him out and betray him. A great example of love. But then I want you to notice it's a new standard of love for us. It is a new standard of love for us. Go to verse 34 again. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, if it's a new commitment, what is the old commitment or commandment, rather? The old commandment was love one another. The Bible says that all the way through. You can go back to the book of Leviticus and find the command that we're to love one another. So what is the new commandment, the new standard of love? Well, it's right there in verse 34. The new commandment is that you love one another, the old commandment, but that you raise the standard as I have loved you. 
So the new standard is we're to love one another as Jesus loved us and would love us. The love of Christ for us is our new standard. Go over to chapter 15 in your Bible. You're there in 13. Just turn the page. Go to 1512. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And he repeats the exact words of it. The new commandment is a higher standard of love than the Old Testament had. The Old Testament standard that you love one another. The New Testament standard that you love one another as Jesus has loved us. That's about the highest standard I could think of. And think of the pressure that he was under. Just stop and think a moment. In just a few hours, this is late in the evening. This is probably 9 or 10 o'clock at night. And in a few more hours, by the time the midnight hour comes, he has been betrayed. He is standing before the council. In about 12 hours or so or less, he is going to be hanging on the cross. They're going to be nailing his hands to the cross. Talk about being under pressure. All of that's on his mind. All of that is in before him. He, he understands what's out there before him. And yet, he is talking to them and setting for them the greatest of ex example of love that could possibly be conceived. He's under pressure. Man, is he under pressure. Man, is the stress on him. In a few moments, he's going to be kneeling in the garden, and the sweat's going to be coming out of him like drops of blood. Now, why do I talk about that? Because you ever seen somebody just completely lose it, just go bonkers and just, just carry on in anger, and then they feel ashamed of themselves, and what do they say? Oh, I'm under pressure. I'm, I'm under stress. <laughs> and that, that becomes their rationale for why they did what they did. But here's our Lord under the most extreme pressure. And what is he doing? He's setting the example for us of Christ-like love. I want to give you seven characteristics of what I'm talking about. If you have a piece of paper there and you write real fast, you might be able to get them. If not, I might put them in the program next week for you. I want you to write them down and get them in your heart. And when you get home, I want you to review them for a day or two when you have your devotions. Seven characteristics of Christ-like love. Seven characteristics of learning to love like Jesus loved. Number one, it's an obedient love. It's an obedient love. It is a love that we have been commanded to do, and we're being obedient to the command. Second John, verse 6, if you want to write the reference down, this is love, wrote John, that we walk after his commandments. What is love? John says, this is agape love that we walk in His commandments, we're obedient to His commandments. Number two, what is Christ-like love? It's sacrificial love. It's sacrificial love. I give myself for the benefit of other people. And the Lord Jesus Christ about to sacrifice the ultimate of all sacrifices. He's going to the cross 
Every drop of his blood is going to be drained. He's going to be nailed. He's going to be cursed. He's going to be spat upon. He's going to be treated like no human may be ever treated. And he's sacrificing himself at the cross, the greatest act of sacrificial love in history. If we're going to love like Jesus, it's got to be sacrificial. It can't always be convenient and on our time and on our terms. Number three, what is, sacri- what is Christ-like love? It's submissive. In just a few hours, he'll be kneeling in that garden. And what was his prayer? Father, it's not my will, but thine be done. It's submissive love. He is submitting to the Father's will even when his flesh shrinks back from it and doesn't want to do it. And it's a strong love, number four. The love, the Christ-like love I'm describing is a strong love. And I want, to, I want you to read with me a few verses we haven't read yet. We read verse number two, where supper ended, the devil was put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. But I want you to go with me now down to verse number 21. And when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit, and he testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you will betray me, all 12 of the apostles still at the table. And the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And Simon Peter, therefore, beckoned to him that he should ask who it is that's going to betray him. And he then, lying on Jesus' breast, said unto him, Lord, who is it? So the disciples are concerned now. Who is the betrayer in our midst? Who is going to be disloyal and sell you out, Lord? And Jesus answered in verse 26, He it is to whom I will give a sop, and sop is bread dipped in gravy or or some other substance. He it is to whom I will give a sop when I've dipped it. And when he dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot the son of Simon. Can you imagine the drama, the intensity of that scene? Twelve men lining the table, and Jesus dips that bread, that sop, and he hands it to Judas. And every eye in that place is on Judas. You could have heard a pin drop, not a sound. Everybody's stunned. Go back now, verse number 27. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. Let's get it over with. Can you imagine the, talk about high drama. Talk about intensity in a scene. Talk about electricity in the room, boy, there it is. And every eye looks to Judas, and then Satan enters into him. Now he becomes controlled of the devil. And so there's 14 people in the room and not 13 now, 12 apostles, the Lord Jesus, and Satan's dark presence is filling that room. And Judas gets up and goes out. They'll see him one more time. 
at the betrayal of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a strong love. And what do I mean by that? A strong Christ-like love is not afraid to confront wrongdoing and evil. We live in a time when people say, I don't want to say anything. I'll let it pass. None of my business. But there are times, there are times when love doesn't turn its head. There are times when love has to be strong and confront the darkness that's engulfing the circumstance. It's an obedient love, a sacrificial love, and a submissive love, a strong love. It's also an enduring love. If you look there at verse number 1, the very last phrase says, He loved them to the end. And He still is loving us, isn't He? He'll never give us up. What did He say? I will be with you until the end of the world in the Great Commission. It's an enduring love. The love of Jesus Christ will never end. It's a compassionate love. In Mark or Matthew chapter 9, the Lord looks out upon a crowd of people, and it says, He looked upon them with compassion. The love of Christ is a compassionate love that He has for His people. And lastly, in number seven, it's a selfless love. He got nothing from the whole situation at all. There was no benefit there for him to pour out his love upon those men. There was nothing coming back for him, no reward, no benefit for him. He went to the cross. No benefit for him. The benefit is all for us, the compassionate and selfless love of Jesus Christ. In 1 John 3 and 18, John again is writing about it because his little books are full of descriptions of love. And he says, my little children, let us not love in word. Let's not just talk about it, neither in tongue, but let's love in deed and in truth. Let's love in action. Let's love, let's love in such a way that there's integrity. When we say we have love, there ought to be integrity to back it up. There ought to be action that supports what we say, to love indeed and in truth, a new standard of love. So here we have a great example of love. We have a strong uh, standard of love. And thirdly, we have a mark that identifies Christians. Go back now with me to verse number 35 at near the end of the chapter. And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. What a great phrase. By this will men know that you are my disciples. This is the identifying mark of a Christian. It is love like Jesus loved us. People try to demonstrate their Christianity in many different ways. And so I pull up behind a car, and there's a little metal decal stuck on the back and it looks like a fish. Is that how you identify Christians? Not really. And often people wear a cross on their lapel or around their neck. Is that the identifying mark of a Christian? No. What is the identifying mark of a Christian? It's love like Jesus loved us. It's not knowledge of the Bible that marks you as a Christian or me. It's not church attendance or service at the church or activity in the Lord's work 
as good as all those things are, put on your cross. Stick the decal on the back of your car. Yes, be active in the church, but that's not the ultimate mark of a Christian. What is the mark of the Christian? It is love. By this will all men know you will identify yourself as a Christian by the love, the love like Jesus Christ had. The principle is really this. Christ-like love is giving people what they need and not what they deserve. Boy, that's so hard to do, isn't it? I mean, we all struggle with that. Let's admit it. It's treating people and giving people what they need and not what they deserve. We often uh, give attention to people who make us feel good. And so we're really trading affection here. But when we when we go to that friendless student, young people, you're in school. There's some students, and they, they're, they're alienated and isolated, and, and, and nobody has much to do with them. A real Christian would be concerned about that and not let that happen. You go to them. There's a couple that sits in the Sunday school class, and that couple is, uh, you know, kind of withdrawn. They don't make friends easily. And it's easy to go over to the crowd of people that's gregarious and friendly and, and mingle with them. Just ignore those people. And, and Oh, they're just strange. They're just weird people. No, 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 no. The love of Jesus Christ is they need us. We go to them. We're not thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about them. The love of Jesus Christ. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not hearing very many amens today because this is an old me sermon, isn't it? This is a sermon when I'm walking on my own toes when I preach it. Because, man, it is, we just get so enveloped in self. And the love of Jesus Christ pulls us out of ourselves and makes us aware of those people who need to be loved. And they may not deserve it, but they need it. Uh, there's a story, and I think I might have told it before, and I've heard it from a number of different preachers. It's well-known. But there was a well-known preacher, and he, was, he had to get up early and make his flight to go back home. And so he went to this little restaurant in the airport uh, there, and a waitress came up, and boy, I mean right out of the chute. He could tell she was, she was touchy. She was sassy, little waitress. She was in a bad mood. And so he said, she kind of said, um, what do you want? Kind of slapped the menu down on the, on the table there. Do you want coffee? And he said, yes, ma'am. Uh, do you want uh, orange juice? Yes, ma'am. And uh, everything she, she said, he just said, yes, ma'am. And she said, finally, is that all you can say is yes, ma'am? You know what he said. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. And so in a few minutes, she brought the food, and he ate the food, and he's filling out the check. He's been watching her, and his heart went out to her. He's a spirit-filled man. And so he got up to leave, and he left a $20, took a $20 bill out of his wallet and laid it on the table. It was just a, back in those days, a $5 or $6 tab. Now today, how much does an egg cost? $20, I guess. But back then, you know, it was a $5 ticket and a $20 tip. And uh, 
he was making his way to the door, and this woman hollered out at him, Hey, sir, you left some money on the table. And uh, he turned around, and he said, Well, uh, don't they tip around here? And she said, Yeah. And then she came over to him. And this waitress who had been so snappy and so grouchy acting and never smiled and just, just abrupt. And she said to him, Mr., after the way I treated you, you, sh- you shouldn't be giving me a $20 tip. And he said, I've been watching you. And I could tell you were hurting. And the tears just gushed from her eyes. And she just broke up and was sobbing. She says, oh, mister, I'm so sorry. If you only knew, my husband left me. My baby is sick. My car broke down on the way to work today, and then my boss chewed me out for being late. And he began to talk to her, and he led her to Christ before he left that restaurant. The love of Jesus Christ. Christ-like love. Christ-like love. It's described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Will you turn in your Bible there? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Now, you're going to read it in your Bible. I'm going to read it from the Amplified Translation, which I often use in my study because it amplifies the verbs. And you look at it as I read it. And let's think about it. Verse 4, love endures long, is patient and kind. It's never as envious or boils over with jealousy. It's not boastful. It doesn't seek after glory. It does not display itself haughtily. Verse 5, it is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with self. It is not rude, unmannerly, or discourteous. God's love in us does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of evil done to it. It pays no attention to suffering wrong. Verse 6, it does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but it rejoices when right and truth prevail. Verse 7, love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances. It endures everything without weakening. Verse 8, love never fails, never fades, never becomes obsolete, never comes to an end. That's the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle John lived up into his late 90s. And the Apostle John got to where he was so old and weak he couldn't walk. And he was the pastor of the church at Ephesus, a large church at that time. And so they would carry him in to the services. And he didn't preach usually. He was too old to do it, but he would just give a little word to the people for maybe two or three minutes. And the tradition is, uh, the history of it is, that he always ended his remarks with the same phrase, the phrase that you find there in his epistle, 
1 John, he said, little children, love one another. After he had made his remarks, he always ended with, little children, love one another. You know, if a Christian is identified by agape love, the question to me is, would people identify me as a Christian? Would they say, that man's a Christian because he shows Christ-like love? Would they identify you as a Christian? That person shows Christ-like love. Let's bow our heads in prayer.